If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father, who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you, because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me, so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. All right, well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. Uh, so glad to have you here today. My name is Ryan. It's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors on staff here at Seacoast and excited to jump into that text with you here today. And uh, before we do, would you just join me as we pray? God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for just the reminder of your truth. And uh, we thank you that you leave us with your words, that we're not left to guess who you are and not left to guess what you have for us, but you give us your scripture. And so God, I pray that you take those words today, transform and change us, maybe for the first time or the thousandth time, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us here. Use your spirit. Uh, we know you're present. We want to be open to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are going to be in John chapter 14. Uh, as I was looking through uh, this passage this week, uh, I was thinking about words that we say that maybe don't mean what they're supposed to mean. There's all kinds of things like that. I'm a child, you know, of, of 80s. That was my, my growing up years. And so we started to say in the 80s, we would, if we liked something and thought it was really good, we'd say that was bad. Like, oh, that's bad. Anyone remember, you know, children of the 80s. And my parents would be like, why do you think that's so bad? It's like, you guys are old. You know, and so, but, but, but as Run DMC said, it was not bad meaning bad, but bad meaning good. And uh, those, I think someone has that reference. All right, good. And, and, and now, and then later, it became sick. You know, you ever hear that? Like, oh, that's sick. So sick is 
good. And, and so if, if, if someone says that's sick and you think, what are you talking about? Then that's your old. And so uh, that's just how we have to, have to know it now. Words change. But that took me down a rabbit hole to think through what are words that we use that don't mean what they used to mean. So how about the word awesome? How many of you this week have said something is awesome? It, it might be like, this pasta is awesome. It, it might be, you know, something along those lines of you're sitting next to someone, and you go, your singing is awesome, whatever it might be. Well, awesome originally was something that put fear into you. So you might be saying to someone like, oh, your singing is putting fear into me as, as you keep doing it. Your cooking is awesome. You don't, don't always say it if we go to the original. Uh, like awesome, there's another word called awful. Things are awful. Actually, awful is a synonym of awesome in its original use. So awful was something that would fill you with awe, and it was a good thing. So you could say, oh, that is awful. That was a good thing. That filled you with awe. It impressed you. Um, artificial. Artificial meant that it was done very well by an artist. So you can kind of break it down. So it was actually very skillful art if it was artificial. Uh, egregious. There's one. Egregious stood out from the crowd as it, it was like standout, a good thing. So if, oh man, that was egregious. It's like, oh, that really stood out. That was great that you did that. Um, I was happy to find, uh, there was a few uh, that kind of started back. You had like nice students. If you want to, you know, as a pickup line, you say, you know, I just think you're really nice. That used to mean ignorant. Uh, so be careful, be careful. I mean, this is 1500s English, so don't, you don't have to really be worried about it, but that's where it started. Um, I laughed at this one. A bunny, so there's bunnies in my neighborhood. The coyotes love them. Um, bunny is from the old English word for squirrel. I don't know how we got literally from a squirrel to one day someone's like, hey, there's a bunny, and everyone's like, okay, bunny. You know, so now that is what that is. Um, this one was helpful to me, was moment. You say, hey, just give me a moment. Just wait, one, wait a moment or whatever. It used to be an actual standard measurement of time, meaning 90 seconds. So that's helpful for me because I'm the king of like, hey, I'll be there in a moment. So I, got, I just bought myself at least 90 seconds. So, uh, but now we have words and terms that once meant something, and now they have a totally different meaning. We're diving into a text today, and as you heard, we, Jesus starts speaking of this spirit. The Holy Spirit who's coming. This helper. And I wonder how many of us, maybe you've heard about the Spirit, you've heard some of these words, and it's taken on a meaning that actually doesn't have the significance that it really once did. And in this passage in particular, he uses a particular form of the word, calling him the helper, and which has this really deep kind of cool idea of who the Holy Spirit is in our lives. So what we're going to do today is try to unravel what our new understanding is and go back to what is Jesus talking about and how can we understand the Holy Spirit? How do we understand this passage of Scripture and what God is offering to us in it? So that's where we're going today. And so let's dive in and go back into John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, uh, we're going to walk through a few of the verses and unpack what Jesus is saying. So it starts off with this. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, so that he may be with you forever. The helper, 
is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So this is part of our teaching, uh, a Christian doctrine called the Trinity. Nice, you might, you've heard it. It's not an uncommon word. Even if you've never been around church, you've probably heard of Trinity before. This is the belief of God, God being one God with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, and this is not, God is not a shapeshifter. Sometimes he's God the Father, sometimes he's Jesus, God the Son, and sometimes he's the Holy Spirit. It's always existing as three separate and simultaneously existing parts of God. All fully God and fully distinct. If you want a full, more, uh, more complete understanding of that, Pastor Steve will be on the plaza. He, give him five minutes, he'll unpack it for you. Over the next few weeks, we're actually going to be looking a little bit more to try to understand it instead of all in one week, but take a few weeks to keep going back to it. But so here's evidence where Jesus is, is telling us that there's the Son, He's the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So we know that Jesus is indicating this belief in the Trinity. Now, as we look here, He says, I will send you a helper. And He uses the term for the Holy Spirit in this passage to be the helper. This is one of those words that I believe that if we just stay with that, there's elements of the Spirit that are the helper, but we're missing out on a richness and fullness of who the Holy Spirit is in our lives. So we want to kind of understand today and ask this question, who is the helper? Who is the helper that he's referring to? And I already mentioned this is the Holy Spirit. This is the term he used. And in this case, we're gonna, there's the language that John writes it down in, in Greek, will give us a little bit more understanding of who the helper is, who, what, who the Spirit is in our lives. So we'll give you a little Greek lesson here. So this is the Greek word now for helper is parakletos. You guys want to say that with me? Come on, parakletos. Oh, you sound so good. Yeah, actually even better. Yeah, I even had some accent with that. That's good. So, and this is actually someone called in to be by your side. So uh, you use this beginning of this word all the time, para, is side by side. So think of paragraph, parallel, all of those things is something that is next to each other. So para and then kletos is this idea of, uh, it's rooted in the word to call, but this one is called in. So Jesus is saying somebody called in to be by your side. Called in. Now, it wasn't just John who writes this and says, okay, figure out what that means and interpret it. This is the problem sometimes with Bible translation is we get it and we use a word and helper is an, is an adequate word. Some of your translations might say comforter. Some of your uh, translations might say advocate. But to really understand what's the fullness of what he's doing, he's actually using a common word in Koine Greek, meaning the Greek that they spoke during this time. It was a common word and a common role that people could have to be a parakletos. It wasn't just the Holy Spirit. And so the way this was used in their culture was, it could be, an expert witness. So if you needed an expert witness to do something on your behalf, it would be a parakletos, someone who'd be called in to be an expert witness. Now think of your spiritual life now. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to send you a, a, a expert witness on your behalf. So 
a witness about that you are in Christ, that you are forgiven, that you've received Jesus as your Lord, and all the sin in your life, this expert witness will testify on your behalf that you are in Christ, that you are saved, that you are redeemed. And so you have the Spirit comes as an expert witness. Uh, another term, uh, how it would be used, would be could simply just be uh, your advocate or someone who's speaking for you, not just giving evidence, but actually speaking for you, who's you're advocating for you, pleading your cause for you. And that's how it would be used in the first century. So again, as John uses that word as, uh, to repeat what Jesus said, there's just nuance to it. And there's all kinds of cool things that that could mean that's a lot bigger than helper. Uh, the other term that would be common in that time was essentially meaning someone who's called in to be an aide, to help you with something. So they're called in, and they are now providing some sort of practical service, some sort of something to help you. They're called in to help you by your side. I, I was thinking back when I was um, growing up, I loved to play baseball, and I was a pitcher. And I used to be really good until like age 14. I think that was my peak. That's where my career pinnacled right there. Um, so I'm living in those glory days uh, of that time. And, but I remember uh, having played on a bunch of different teams, and because my dad was military, sometimes I'd move around, and you're not known from one league to the next or one school to the next or whatever. So uh, I was on a team. I didn't know any of the kids. I remember first day of practice. I think we were, I think it was eighth grade. And we got there, and we were all pitching, kind of warming up, because they said, hey, who's my pitchers on my team? So we started pitching. And there was two guys on the team that were those, you know the kids who hit puberty before everyone else? And by age 14, you know, so they were like a foot taller than me. They were bigger. They would, in between innings, they would shave. You know, there's there those guys. And then there was me. I'm still waiting for my voice to change and drop. You know, I still, I'm, I'm waiting for that. So that's who we have. And we're, so we're trying out the first day, and we're, we're pitching. And, and they were big, and they kind of threw hard. They threw harder than me, but I would, they, they weren't that good. Let's just be honest. But the coach thought they would be good because they're big. So he would use them, and, and so they would pitch. And I remember watching our team, and this team, we, we were, I almost said we were awful. But now we know that that would mean we were good. No, we we were, we were not a good team. We were, yeah, we were awesome, yeah. <laughs> it brought fear in the crowd, yeah. And, and so we, um, we just kept losing and losing, and it kept, he kept pitching, you know, the bearded ones. And, and so, and I was sitting out there every game thinking, call me in. Call me in, I can help. If you would just call me in, I can do something. Because I know it, it I, again, pinnacle of my career, 14, I'm not bragging, it was just, at 14, I was good. So, but call me in, and, and one day, finally, I think we were probably losing by like 10, and the coach is like, I don't know what to do. Hey, do you want to pitch? Come out and pitch. And I was like, I've been telling you, and I still remember it, where I shut them down for the next three innings. We still lost the game, but they didn't score, and the coach was kind of like, oh, you pitch? I'm like, yeah, I pitch, coach, come on, give me a break. And so from that point in, after I got called in to help, then all of a sudden he knew what I could do. I wonder how many of us kind of re relate to the Holy Spirit in a way that he's just saying, would you just call me in? I'm present. I'm here. I'm willing. But you keep saying, I want to do it on my own. I want to do it on my own. I'll figure this out. God, I've got this. And he's saying, if you would just invite me, you would just call me in. I will come side by side to be your 
aid, to assist you. So that's the language that Paul, or sorry, that John is recording here. The one who's called in. To get even more nuance of what the Spirit can do, who is the, the Holy Spirit, who is the helper, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 10. I have it on the screen for you. He says, If Christ is in you, then though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Holy Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies because His Spirit who lives in you. Do you understand that? Do you get that? Do you grasp what Paul is writing? That the same Spirit who had the power to raise Christ Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit who dwells in you and in me for those of us in Christ. That's a significant power. How many of you woke up this morning and you said, I've got challenges coming, it's a tough world, there's a lot going on, but I woke up today and said, I know I have the Holy Spirit in me, and so I have power to face whatever is coming my way. I am not alone. My guess is most of us start the day and say, I'm stressed, I'm worried, the, the world's difficult, uh, I'm, I'm looking at an election year coming, and just chaos, and, and the, I don't know where the answers are, and we forget that the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is dwelling in us, just waiting for us to acknowledge and say, I have called you in to my side. So that's who the Helper is Next, as we look, how do we, so the next question is, how do we receive the helper? How do we know we get access to the helper, the Holy Spirit? What, how does that work? Let's look back in the text, because Jesus says, has this little conversation with one of his disciples. And on the surface, it could actually confuse us more, but let's look at it. He starts off, and, and let's jump down to verse 21. The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, but a different disciple. By the way, how would you like to have the name Judas after Judas that betrays? And every time you're like, I'm Judas, but not the one you're thinking of. <laughs> That's his name the rest of his life. <laughs> Judas, not Iscariot, says to Jesus, Lord, what has happened that you are going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will follow my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our dwelling with him. The one who does not love me does not follow my words, and the word which you hear is not mine. It's the Father who sent me. So what is Jesus saying here? First, let's ask the question. What is Judas asking? He's saying, wait a minute, Jesus, it sounds like you're saying those who, who love you, who follow your commands, are the ones that you reveal yourself to, the ones that you give your spirit to, and you'll dwell with them. So I get that, I love that, that's great. Why don't you just do that, for, why don't you just send your spirit to everyone? Why don't you just unleash your spirit on the whole world so everyone could see and know who you are? Why, why don't you just do that? Why does it seem to be select? And I think this is rooted a little bit in perhaps there's some 
prophecies we have in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, speaking of a time when God is going to send, re renew and bring a new covenant, and there'll be a new heart given to people, and the word will just dwell in them. And there's this idea that, hey, is this for all, uh, in this case, at this point, it was just the Jewish people. And he said, is this all the Jewish people now? You're going to put your spirit in and believe? That was their context in first century. So the new heart, why don't you just do that to everyone? So Judas is thinking, don't we all get this? And, and Jesus said, well, those who love me and follow my commands are the ones who I will reveal myself to and dwell in them. So the question then is, wait, does this, does this mean that we have like, we have to do some stuff? We have to earn our way to receive the Spirit? Like, we have to follow rules and then God will come? Because we could read it that way, and some do, and I want to tell you that that's a little bit backwards according to the whole of Scripture. Because this is not, Jesus is not describing a precondition for someone to have the Spirit, but actually evidence of those who do. Does that make sense? He's saying, hey, do you want to know who, who, who the Spirit's dwelling in? You're going to know through evidence in their lives as they walk with me. Now, he doesn't say walk with me perfectly. He doesn't mean you'll never fail, that you're always, like, every day. And if one day you stumble and fall and don't walk in the ways of Jesus, that all of a sudden the Spirit's like, all right, I'm done. See you tomorrow. Try again. But he's saying there's evidence. If you want to know who I reveal myself to, to those who've, you want to know who's really received me, you're going to see evidence in their lives. I was thinking about this, and um, it was about 27 years ago, which is we, uh, still weird for me to say. I'm, I'm learning to just get over it that I'm old, and um, I wrestle with that. But so 27 years ago, almost this, this month, uh, I was uh, up in Seattle. There was this cute girl that I knew, and uh, I was going to the University of Washington, and one night, we went to this place called Discovery Park up in Seattle, and it has this uh, cool hiking trails, and we went there at night, and the park was closed, and there was no trespassing signs, but this girl didn't see them, because if she did, she wouldn't have gone, because she's a rule follower. So I didn't let her see it, and I said, hey, let's go on a hike, and I saw that, and we went the other way and went down the trail. So she didn't know, so she has deniability. She didn't trespass. I did. But so we went on this night hike, one of our favorite ones. She knew me, by the way. I, did I fill that part in? And, and we, we went down to the water on Discovery Park at night, and uh, it's in Seattle, great place. And uh, that's when I asked my wife to marry me. And uh, she said, give me some time, a couple months, I'll think about it. And, uh, and then she said, well, let me see the ring first. And I showed her the ring. She's like, I really need to think about this. So anyway, uh, just kidding. There's just, you know the old rule of thumb, you had to have three months salary, you know, that's like etiquette for the, for the engagement ring. It's really helpful to do that when you're in college, and you're like, that's like 150 bucks, I can do that. <laughs> it's no problem. Just a little advice to you young people. Anyway, so, she said yes, and, and, and so the process then is we did some premarital training, and part of it is in that, I still remember, is we talk about what roles would be in the house. Like, what were going to be your rules for one another? Uh, and, and it's everything from, like, who likes to cook? Who likes to clean? Who's, who's going to work in the yard? Are you guys going to do it? Are you going to hire someone to do that? Are you, um, who's going to change diapers? Which I was like, no, that's your job, right? I don't have to do that ever. I learned that's the wrong answer. So, uh, but all, you know, you talk through those things. And you kind of give each other rules. 
Now, when you're engaged, you say, whatever you want me to do, I'm happy to, I love you. I will do whatever you want because I love you so much, right? You say that stuff to each other, then you get married, and the honeymoon's over, and then you're like, you want me, what? You, really? I need to clean up after myself again today? <laughs> you didn't sh- close the closet door again? You didn't whatever? But you have rules in a marriage, and in a healthy marriage, you actually follow them. Now, imagine this. What if my wife said, hey, here's things I'd like for you to do, and I just never did them? I was like, I'm not going to do that. Maybe I tell her I will, but I never do, or maybe I just say, ah, I know you cooked. I should clean up tonight, but there's a game on, so I'm not going to do it. Not tonight. And then I do that again, and I do that again, and she goes, hey, what's going on? And I say, hey, I love you so much. I want you to know I love you so much. Eventually, she's going to say, you know, your actions don't seem to represent a very good love for me. At best, you're disrespecting me. But there's no evidence of that. Now, conversely, maybe I could do all of them and say, I'll follow every rule you want. I'll just do it. But what if we just really don't invest in the relationship? And the only reason I do that is so maybe I can get something out of it. That's not healthy either. There's a relationship involved. I believe what Jesus is speaking about is a relationship with God. It's not just rules, follow them, fall in line and do the right thing, but it certainly isn't those who are in Christ. There should be some evidence. He's saying, how could you say you love me if you never walk in my ways? You don't follow my commands. You don't, we look at your life and say, how are you any different? It does, there's no evidence of transformation. Now again, I'm not saying perfection I'm not saying we go through seasons where we struggle. When I first became a Christian, it was in, uh, in St. Louis, in Missouri, and that was kind of the Bible Belt, and so people would backslide back there. Anyone ever hear of backsliders? Um, we don't say that on the West Coast, but down there it's like, oh, he's backsliding. Um, I don't know what that would mean. It's like you picked the wrong girlfriend or something, but it w- what it really meant is he's not walking with Jesus right now. He's backsliding. Kind of a funny term, but we go through those seasons, and I want to tell you that sometimes that's just normal. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the collection of evidence in your life. I believe that God is a God who loves us, who will pursue us in those seasons where we're struggling, that the, pro- the story of the prodigal son is a story about a God who will not give up on you, and if you are in Christ, he will pursue you, he'll chase you down, and invite you back. Because he wants you to have that relationship, to walk in his ways, to experience the life he has for you and for him. That's what the relationship is. So when you hear of the Spirit, how do we receive him? Well, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. I want you to see this. It says, In Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise. In other words, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? We trust and believe the message of Jesus, and we receive it and declare Jesus as Lord. That's what we do, and the Holy Spirit then becomes the seal of the promise as he enters and dwells in us, and now he starts to transform our lives, and the evidence begins to show. So, it's limited in the sense of God's not pouring out his Holy Spirit on every single person. But it's also open to everyone who believes. 
and the evidence of the light of a relationship starts to show up. So, last question, or the last thing we want to deal with is this. What is different with the helper in us? So what's different in our lives when the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us? What changes? How do we get to the point where we are walking in the ways of Jesus through the power of the Spirit? So what does that look like? So again, let's go back to the text. In uh, John chapter 14, we're going to jump down to 15, or 25, sorry. It says, These things I have spoken to you while remaining with you, but the Helper, again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. If you like to take notes in your Bibles, if you uh, underline that or circle teach, so he will teach you all things, and he will remind you of all that I said to you. So, Here's two things right here that's different in your life. As the Holy Spirit will teach things to you. Have you ever read Scripture, you read something in the Bible, and you just kind of go, huh? <laughs> what in the world does that mean? What am I supposed to do? Uh, we are, as a church, if you receive, we, we send out this daily email called the Daily Encounters five days a week. And we're, we started in January, and it's a t in two years we're going to read through the whole Bible. And I've been following along with that, so we just read through Genesis. There are many times when I read through Genesis and much of the Old Testament that I read the stories and I just go, wait, what? What is going on here, Lord? What is that? What am I supposed to learn from th these people? Like, really? Have you, if you haven't read it, jump in and start reading. You're going you're gonna to have much better opinion of yourself, first of all. Um, <laughs> but there's going to be moments you're just going to go, I don't get this. But the Holy Spirit is here to teach us to help us learn how to apply the truths of Scripture. There are times in your life that the Holy, a, a good prayer is like, Spirit, can you teach me how to walk and live the ways of Jesus in this tough situation? Maybe you have a coworker that's really hard to deal with. A great prayer is, Holy Spirit, can you show me what it's like to be Jesus right now? Teach me. Remind me of your truth. Remind me of the things that Jesus said. You know those, sometimes we, we call it our conscience, but the times when you're just reminded of something, like, hey, you really want to go that way? You really want to do that? Do you really want to say this, these things? The Holy Spirit's reminding us of the ways of Jesus, reminding us of what Jesus said. Now, we can learn to ignore the Holy Spirit. We really can. Just like learning to ignore the check engine light in your car. Some of you, if I borrow your car, you'll say, oh, the check engine light's on. Don't worry about it, <laughs> right? You're driving around with that. I have one that's always up, but I know what's wrong with it, so. My friend literally saw his oil light, and he ignored it until his engine blew up. And, yeah, I don't feel as bad for him as you do, but that's fine. <laughs> we do that to the Holy Spirit. We start to, do, it just becomes noise if, when we ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. We can get really good at ignoring it, at that voice. He's speaking to us. We can ignore him over and over. We can ignore his voice. And then all of a sudden, we don't even know he's speaking. But Jesus says he's going to remind us of the teachings of Jesus. Go on, verse 27. Then Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, that I, do I give it. So do not let your hearts be troubled or be fearful. So another thing that happens with the Holy Spirit is all of a sudden we can experience the peace of God and we can live without fear in our world. We can live without anxiousness in our world about things that are coming. 
This is a very Hebraic way of Jesus saying, Shalom, Shalom, I give you my peace. And it's not just the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of God's fullness and wholeness in your life. He says, I leave it for you. And when I give you my peace, you don't have to be troubled or fearful. How many of you, you're living and walking through life, you are troubled. You turn on the news and you are troubled. We're in an election year and you're just, you're troubled and you don't even know what's going to happen yet. You're just like, oh no. And we're fearful. You look at all the events around the world, we, we see wars, we see stuff with the climate, all kinds of things. And we could get so worried about everything that happens and we're just troubled. And Jesus says, hey, would you invite me into that? Because with my spirit, you don't have to be afraid. Now, he doesn't mean that everything's going to be okay and you're never going to suffer or experience hardship. He doesn't say that. He says in the midst of your hardship, you're going to have a view of the world that's so much greater. You're going to have a hope beyond what you see. You're going to have a confidence that this world is not all there is. And he invites you into it. And so the Holy Spirit wants to give you that, to remove the fear. You know what else he's going to do? He's going to remove the fear of punishment from God in your life. In the Spirit, he's going to tell you, you are saved and redeemed. And in Jesus, you are now okay. In me, you are a son and a daughter of God. Look at what Paul writes. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. He's talking about slaves to, uh, to legalism, to the law. And, or that you live, have to live in fear again. Rather, the spirit whom you received brought you at, or bought you as adoption to sonship. And by the spirit we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with, our, with us that we are God's children. That you are now God's children, sons and daughters of God. And the Spirit testifies and says, I want to remind you where you belong. What family is your family? I, I was thinking of a time when um, my dad was stationed up in San Francisco at the Presidio. And we went, we'd go to baseball games at Old Candlestick Park, uh, which is an awful place to go. Wait, I can't say awful anymore. It's a, not a good place to go to games. And uh, but we went there, and I went to, I was like fifth or sixth grade, and we went to a Dodgers versus Giants game. And I didn't know at the time that it was like two evil empires fighting each other, but that's what it was. And, and so, but I was in the stands, and it was the first time I ever saw grown-ups fist fight. They're Dodger and Giant fans. What do we expect, right? So, sorry. <laughs> you guys didn't laugh at that. Wow, I guess, mixed crowd. Jeez. But I saw them fight, and it was kind of an eerie feeling. But I also knew that I was there with my brother and my dad. And even though it was kind of weird and eerie, I just thought, I'm not really worried about it. My dad could beat those guys up. <laughs> you know what? What Paul is reminding us about the Holy Spirit is that we don't have to go through life afraid because we know who our dad is. We know what family we belong to. We know that even facing health issues or financial issues and relationship issues, that no matter what you're going, going through and facing, that you're not doing it alone, that you belong to the family of God, and that Abba Father, this very personal name for him in Hebrew, is a way of saying that's who we have. And so even in a world that seems chaotic, that we know that we are in God's hands. And he removes that spirit 
of fear from us. Jesus says, my peace that I give to you is not peace like you will find in the world. Friends, if you're looking for peace in the world, you will come up short. If you're waiting for our politicians to figure it out and bring calm and peace in your life, you're going to be waiting a long time. If you're waiting for your health to be perfect, to experience peace, it might not ever happen. But we can have peace when we know what family we belong to. And we can walk through this life knowing the Spirit has been called in by our side. We're going to transition to a time of communion. And as we transition now to a time of communion, for us, communion is this great reminder of what Jesus has just told us. It's a great reminder that his presence was real, that he actually lived on this world, earth. He walked and experienced life like you and I experienced life, that he suffered for our sins, that he was crucified and killed, laid into a tomb, and he rose again. And so in a moment, we're going to invite you to take communion. And as we do that, the bread represents the body of Christ. It re represents this life he lived. It reminds us that these stories are real, that he had that real moment and that real teaching that he gave to his disciples. And that he was about to go and face his death but, and his resurrection. At the end of this passage, he actually says, hey... It's time for us to leave. The time is now. And what I'm about to do is going to confirm who I am. So when we take that bread, we're reminded of who Jesus is. We're reminded that he is actually the son of God who lived and dwelled among us and who rose again. He wasn't just a guru with good teaching. He's Lord and God. The juice reminds us of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. And Jesus himself said that this represents the blood of a covenant, a promise that I make with my people. And the promise that I make is a promise that says, no matter what, I will not break my end of the deal. And my end of the deal is that my sacrifice for you is enough. It's enough to cover all of your sins, all, take away your guilt and your shame, and to give you new life. You can't even out-sin the grace of Jesus he says, my promise is that my grace is enough for you. So when you take that cup, you're remembering that Jesus made a promise to us. That what he did is enough. It's enough for your greatest failure, your greatest shame. So we're going to take a moment, and we're going to invite you to go to the tables. We have communion tables on each side. You can go as a family. You can go as an individual, with friends, however you want to do this. Take the elements, there's bread and there's a cup. You can go back to your seat or you can spread out around the room if you want to pray together somewhere. Feel free to do that. This is your time to reflect and to just pause for a moment. And today, could we just take a moment when we do that to think about the fact that the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not some interesting force floating around in the world. The Holy Spirit is personal and real and present with us now. And so, and that's because of Jesus. So take a communion and take the elements at your own pace. And when you come back to your seats, 
Uh, this song, they're gonna have a little bit of instrumental space so you have time to reflect. You don't have to, everyone doesn't have to rush over there. We'll give you the time to do it. And then when you are ready, you'll, you'll know when the song is, when everyone's back. And if you wanna join us by standing and singing to end out our time, we invite you to do that. But really, we want you to be open to what the Spirit wants to do in your life right now. So would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much for the reminder that you are more than just a helper. But you are someone who's speaking on our behalf. You're our advocate. Lord, that you're more than just a helper, that you are also one who will provide testimony for us, that you will remind us that we are sons and daughters of God, that you are for us. Lord, you're more than just a helper. You're one who's called in when we need you, and you're always there. And so, Lord, we thank you that you've sealed us and reminded us of who we are in you. We thank you that through your power we may walk the ways of Jesus. We thank you that you don't leave us alone. And so now, Lord, as we go to the communion table and we take the bread and the cup and we remember your life, your death, your resurrection, we remember the promise made through your bloodshed. And we thank you that your love for us is so great that you would go through such lengths. Move in this place. Remind us of your presence. In your name, amen. So take your time uh, during this last song and take communion at your own pace.